Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast, the podcast all about the good, the bad and the ugly of British policing. If you're interested in how policing works and you want to hear some incredible people talking about what they did in their policing careers, then this is definitely the podcast for you. Sometimes we cover some pretty gory or distressing subjects and there may be a bit of swearing from time to time. So probably best to keep the kids out of earshot. Right, here we go. Hello everybody, Ian here. Now, I know that I'd said that I was going to take a little bit of a break from the podcast for a while. Uh, and I still intend to do that. Don't know how long it's going to be. Could be weeks, could be months, don't know. Just depends on various things going on at the moment. Uh, but I just thought it would be a little bit odd if I didn't say something about the Baroness Casey report that came out uh, this week. Um, so as I sit here, it's Wednesday the 22nd and the report sort of came out in full yesterday, I believe. But uh, there'd been quite a lot of leaks to the media, unsurprisingly, and uh, the press was full of it on Monday. What a nice way to start the week, eh? So I thought I would do a little bit of a quick and dirty assessment of what I think about the review and then I'm going to read to you an article I wrote today which I've put out as a blog um, but if you're not on things like LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff like that then you probably won't know that that exists, so I just thought I'd stick that out in this episode as well. I know that uh, quite a few podcasts, they describe emergency, like if you listen to the uh, the Rest is Politics podcast, they talk about an emergency episode. Well, I'm not sure this is an emergency episode, but it's probably a uh, additional uh, episode. So... Um, Oh God, yesterday I was in such a foul mood because of all of the negative reporting on policing. It was just wall-to-wall -wall negativity, bile and hatred uh, being sent policing's way by the print press and by the media at general. And it was just like, oh my God. And I was in a proper grumpy frame of mind for most of the day yesterday because of it. And I know it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous that you should allow the media to put you in a bad mood. But when they're talking about something that you have devoted such a big part of your life to and something that you feel so passionate about and you're talking about it in such a unbalanced way as they do, then, yeah, this is going to have an impact on you, isn't it? And um, and I really desperately feel for the guys and girls who are out there doing early slits and nights, dealing with all the shit that the job has to offer, dealing with stroppy, awful members of the public, uh, for, you know, really poor pay now, and... Um, yeah, in an environment that just feels really, really hostile to policing, I just can't even imagine what that must be like. I mean, at least at least whenever I was doing that job years ago on the front line, I was being fairly well paid. I, I had the support of my organisation. 
I broadly had the support of the public um, and even the media, really, largely, but that is none of those things are true today. And I really, really do feel for the people doing that job now. So, so yeah, so what do I think about the Baroness Casey review? So, if you only listened to what was being reported in the media, you would think that this was a massive hatchet job on policing. But then you actually read the report. I can't profess that I've read all, you know, 300 odd pages of it, but I've read, I've skim read quite a lot of it. And you know what? It's actually really, really good. And thank God someone has come in independently, independent of policing, and said so many of the things that we've all been saying to each other for so many years about policing. Um, so many of the things that I wrote about in my book and that have been discussed in this podcast, it's all there. It's all there in that report. And anybody from this government who is looking at this report and sort of feeling in any way smug about the contents needs to really, really have a word with themselves because it is pretty scathing, actually, about the way that policing has been treated for quite a few years. So I'm going to... Uh, read just a few little bits and bobs from the report and just to give you a bit of a flavour and just to illustrate the point that this is not a hatchet job on policing. I actually think that on balance this will be good for policing because it leaves um, the option of doing nothing absolutely, um, you know, it is not, it's not even an option to do nothing now. And I know that the report is about the Met, but anybody who's worked in policing across the UK for any length of time, particularly in the larger urban forces, uh, will recognise an awful lot of what's in this report. And you could take out the word Met and you could substitute it for pretty much, I think, any force in the country. Um, so... If you go right into the very first paragraphs of the report, it makes it crystal clear that so many of the things that have happened to the Met have been as a result of very harsh financial treatment of policing. So it says right at the start, the Met has faced significant challenges over the last 10 years. Many of these have been beyond their control. These include austerity, changes in crime patterns, non-crime demand, and a regulatory system that makes it difficult to get rid of people who corrupt the Met's integrity. The Crime Prosecution Service and the courts are also under acute pressure. This impacts the effectiveness of the Met and makes the criminal justice system overall much less effective. Like other public services, austerity has profoundly affected the Met. In real terms, the review has calculated that the Met now has uh, 0.7 less than at the start of the previous decade, meaning its budget is 18% smaller. 
This is enough to employ more than 9,600 extra police constables at full cost. It has lost 21% of its civilian staff and two-thirds of its special constables, while the number of police community support officers has halved. Between 2010 and 2022, it closed 126 police stations. Specialist units and functions have been prioritised uh, through ring-fenced government funding. Together, this has eroded frontline policing, weakening the strongest day-to-day -day point of connection with Londoners, as well as impacting the Met's reactive capabilities, its response levels and its response to male violence perpetrated against women and children. So there you go. Those are the opening paragraphs to the report, which were absolutely music to my, well, not my ears, to my eyes. Uh, and, and really, so many of the things that the report says are things that I think we could probably all agree with. So I'm just going to go through a few little bits and bobs uh, in terms of lowlights of the report. So she was particularly scathing about the management of police officers, something that is very close to all of our hearts. Uh, she said, uh, the management of people is poor. We witness clear signs of high stress and pressure among officers due to the nature of their work, dealing with very stressful and upsetting situations, working with traumatised, vulnerable and dangerous people, and facing daily abuse from the public. Sergeants and inspectors are expected to manage very large numbers of constables and junior staff as a core feature of their work without the time and the tools to do so. And there is poor selection, vetting and training of new recruits. Speaking up is not welcome. Keeping your head down, looking the other way and telling people, especially senior officers, what they want to hear is the way things are done in the Met. I think you could probably agree that that's the way that things are done in the police. The culture of not speaking up has become so ingrained that even when senior officers actively seek candid views, there's a reluctance to speak up. But those who speak up in the Met learn the hard way that there are adverse consequences for themselves, for their careers and for their teams. Does that sound familiar? Very familiar. Uh, she talked about, in, I thought this is a great word, initiative-itis. I called it pointless gimmicks in my book. Instead of focusing on getting the basics right, short-term projects and campaigns have been launched from headquarters without seeing them through, considering their impact or engaging the organisation embedding enduring systemic change. This particularly wears down officers on the front line. They experience slogans and spreadsheet returns instead of a single clear and widely understood strategy for improvement. This is exacerbated by poor management within the organisation. And again, you know, we've all seen that, haven't we? We've all seen it. Some bright spark who wants to get promoted comes along, fucks everything up and then buggers off generally on promotion and then everyone else has to run around trying to fix the chaos that they've left in their wake and 
they get the people who have to fix the chaos get absolutely no thanks for it whatsoever, and the people who have caused the chaos get promoted. I mean, you really couldn't make this stuff up, could you? But we've all seen it, haven't we? We've all seen it. And she went on to talk at some length about the disconnect. And again, I used that exact word in my book, the disconnect between senior officers and the people uh, actually doing the job. Um, she said, we recognise policing is hierarchical with its clearly defined rank structure, which is important in an organisation with public safety at its heart. Even taking this into account, we were concerned by the disconnection between chief officers, senior officers and frontline officers. She said, hierarchy does not have to mean disconnection, but we saw and heard across the organisation that senior officers are too distant from operational policing and therefore from Londoners and their experience of policing in London. She described a, a situation where, and I'll quote from it, we saw a vivid contrast between senior leaders who were able to take decent periods of leave or work compressed hours to fit around their childcare responsibilities and junior officers and st staff where neither of those options were available. A PC who arrived for an eight-hour shift was told that the shift was going to be 12 hours that same day. She also had childcare commitments, but there was no negotiation. The team uh, met with the SLT, so we talked about a team, a visit to a BCU, didn't say where, but we met with the SLT uh, at the start of the day, who talked about empowering their officers and staff, the opportunities to move around, their high morale, and how well they were managing probationers and trainee detectives. We then met a group of constables and detective constables. They felt trapped in their roles, close to exhaustion, unequal to the size and intensity of caseloads, and that they were not understood by their SLT. They were followed by a group of sergeants and an inspector. In turn, they said they were too stressed to provide supervision, were critical of their new recruits for not being fit for the job, and said that they didn't know where and when probationers were arriving or what stage of their training they were at. They had little control or power to change anything. So yeah, there was also some uh, some really quite depressing uh, descriptions of the uh, excessive demand on the front line that seems to put officers into one of two camps. It puts them either into those who are working really, really hard to try and do a good job and, uh, and are just overwhelmed and stressed out. And there's those who are the lazy bastards who've just basically given up. And uh, yeah, quote from um, some of the some of the comments. Um, I said austerity was imposed on the Met, but the leadership made choices about where these cuts fell, and local policing has suffered most. And again, I think you could probably say that about a lot of forces around the country. In public statements, the leadership have always backed their frontline officers and praised their heroism. But the lived experience of many officers and staff we spoke to did not match the verbal backing. Officers on the front line feel forgotten about and neglected. They see a lack of emphasis on and recognition of the work of the front line, and morale and commitment to the organisation suffers as a result. Officers reported that they felt unable 
that they felt able only to fight fires rather than to do any proactive work. Quote, Response officers of 25 primes to investigate and are then told by victims they're not doing the job well. How can we ask officers to be loyal when the organisation is not looking after them? There are constantly shifts being changed, no mail breaks, no predictability, and yet they have to take the responsibility for things going wrong. If a victim complains about a case, that officer gets questioned on the failures. And a detective said, we come in every day and are just having to manage risk. The investigations aren't moving because we don't have time. We're a reactive unit. We deal with the new things coming in, and as long as we're managing the risks, then if we get to the investigations, we get to them. Yeah, so so you think about all this stuff, all those sort of high-profile failures, um, which, uh, you know, policing nationally has been lambasted over. You know, the terrible response to burglary, some of the dreadful... Uh, response the dreadful you know uh, detection rate for crime uh, the inability to bring offenders to justice for some of the most serious offenses particularly sexual offenses all of this all of it I would say is a byproduct of many years of underfunding um, but there's some really some really really uh, some comments that made me feel quite angry actually about some of the lazy fuckers um, so there's a quote here saying uh, my team were known as the laziest when I worked uh, in a particular location that remains nameless for the purpose of the report I went into the office on night duty and every officer was asleep at their desks the radio was still going constantly you'd bring someone in and the custody officers would be on their phones and we'll put their hands up to say, I'll call you when I'm ready. The absence of basic management and supervision created cultures where poor practice is tolerated and those who do work hard are not recognised. I mean, it's just, it's just shocking, isn't it? Oh my God. I mean, when I was um, a uniform PC in South London and later a uniform sergeant and a uniform inspector, on night duty, everyone was out and about, sniffing around, looking to, um, you know, catch criminals, responding to calls for service. It was just th that description of people ignoring the radio and being asleep. It's just like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? But I think that's what happens, isn't it? The, the good people get completely... Um, overwhelmed and taken for granted and the lazy fuckers get away with it don't they and she talked at length about how uh, life in a specialist department one of the sort of inadvertent commas sexier parts of policing such as serious organized crime gangs task force or counter-terrorism and all these kind of specialist units are lavished with resources and there is just no understanding there whatsoever of the reality of the people, the lives of the people who actually interact, you know, face to face with with Londoners. And again, you know, I've said this before in the podcast. Uh, I'll say it again. It is, it is completely wrong. I know the funding model is that counterterrorism funding gets ring fenced 
by the Home Office and you're not allowed to touch it and they're not allowed to do anything else, but it's completely wrong that you've got this huge, massive standing army nationally that is in many ways dealing with uh, stuff that wouldn't even feature, wouldn't even figure on the radar of local policing. Because why? Because it, it, it represents barely any risk whatsoever. Dealing with deluded individuals uh, who have got some you know, mental health issue who might, might commit some sort of attack uh, which has now been labelled as a terrorist attack, uh, is just is just completely wrong. I know for a fact, because I've worked there, that an awful lot of the time on these units, they're sat around twiddling their thumbs, or they're creating nonsense operations to create the illusion of being busy. Why? Because they don't want to lose their funding. And, you know, the, the, the more they can kind of... Um, you know, create that create the impression of, of of managing these big workloads when actually most of it is just bollocks, is uh, is just not right, and it's not right that that you know uniform frontline officers and detectives and local CID teams are scratting around trying to manage these impossible workloads involving very serious risk and threat to members of the public while a lot of these specialist units are swanning around with their expensive kit in lavish offices. It's just not right. So, anyway, I shall, uh, I shall read you the article I wrote today, which I think kind of sums up where my head, where my head was in the last 24, 48 hours. As part of me um, just wants to sack this whole fucking thing off, quite honestly, because it feels, I do feel sometimes like I'm massively flogging a dead horse here. Uh, I've been doing this for quite a long time. I've, you know, I feel passionate. You know I feel, anyone who's listened to my podcast for a length of time, you know how passionate I am about all of this. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't bother my arse doing it if I wasn't. Um, but it does feel that, the organisation is just at a very senior level, uh, is just not listening, not listening at all, not listening to its own people, not listening to the public, not listening to, you know, opinion formers or academics. It's just, you know, the attitude is seems to be, I'm all right, Jack, and stuff everyone else. Um, so yeah, here's the article. Another on HAPPY day for British police officers. Reflections on the Casey Review. Monday the 20th of March 2023 was International Day of Happiness. However, for me, and I suspect most dedicated, professional, serving and retired police officers in the UK, the last couple of days have not been happy ones. Not even one tiny little bit happy. Several times yesterday, I stalked around the house, swearing and cursing, like a man experiencing sudden-onset Tourette syndrome. So why was that? 
It was because we could now see the full, sickening, gut-wrenching horror of the Baroness Casey review into the culture and standards of the Metropolitan Police. The report was focused on the Met, but in fairness, anyone who knows anything about UK policing knows that many of the issues highlighted in the report could equally apply to most forces in England and Wales. Note to Chief Constables outside London. This isn't just about the Met, so don't be feeling too smug right now. Firstly, just to get this important point out of the way, I do not doubt or feel defensive about the criticisms currently being levelled against the Met. I wrote a book about the demise of the British Police Service, for God's sake. I've done 80 episodes of a podcast called Tango Juliet Foxtrot, The Job's Fucked. So I get it. You won't get any arguments out of me. I was the canary in the coal mine when no one wanted to hear this stuff. However, having now had 24 hours to actually read the report, rather than simply the worst bits that the media like to fixate on, I will consider the three pillars of International Day of Happiness and see how they stack up against the Louise Casey report. For clarity, and in the unlikely event that you didn't know, this year's theme of International Day of Happiness was Be Mindful, Be Grateful, Be Kind. First up then, Be Mindful. Step 1. Be mindful. Relax your breathing and notice. How am I feeling right now? I'm now relaxing my breathing. Unlike yesterday, when my breathing was not relaxed. Not relaxed at all. It was rather unrelaxed, actually. How am I feeling right now? Well, yesterday... I was feeling a combination of anger, sadness, frustration, a bit more anger, and a sense of hopelessness about the state of the organisation that I loved and to which I had given 30 years of my life. Today I'm just feeling sad, and often the best way to channel those feelings is to write them down. I've invested a lot of my life in policing, I've experienced the joys and horrors of what I think is, or can be, the best job in the world. I'm still heavily invested in policing, having helped to develop Aquila, which I believe to be the best digital investigations platform in the world. However, like so many of us, I've watched over many years as a combination of three things has destroyed British policing. One, mean-spirited political meddling and cost-cutting since 2010 that has screwed public safety. What did they think would happen if they took away 30% of staff and resources, simultaneously trashed pay and pensions from a profession with zero right to take industrial action, and increased demand by about 40%? What could possibly go wrong? 2. Weak, frequently bullying, 
and self-interested police leaders who failed to push back and who acquiesced to point one. Three, a hostile media that only ever focus on bad news stories, demoralising the majority of frontline police officers who try and do a good job with everything stacked against them. Net result of one to three, a demoralised, inexperienced, underpaid, ill-disciplined and badly led organisation that feels abandoned and unloved by everyone. Those who are very quick to damn an entire profession could do worse than being mindful of the three points above that led to this horrible situation. Next up, point two, be grateful. Step two, be grateful. Look around you and ask yourself, what am I thankful for? I have many, many things to be thankful for. A loving family, a wonderful wife and four beautiful children, a warm, comfortable home. But this isn't about me, it's about policing. So here goes. I'm thankful for having had the great privilege of working alongside some of the very best human beings in society in my long career in policing. Brave, funny, kind, hard-working, selfless and determined to put the needs of the public before their own needs. People who sacrificed Christmases, birthdays, school sports days and nativity plays to be at work to protect the public. People who frequently sacrificed their physical and mental health to do what often feels like a thankless job. I'm also thankful for a career that provided me with a good income and which now provides me with a good pension. Two things that no longer exist for those working in UK policing, thanks to this government. I'm also thankful to Baroness Casey for shining a light on things that needed to be exposed. The terrible impact of austerity on policing and public safety. The impact of clueless police managers who bully anyone who challenges them into silence. The poor bloody frontline officers who have been betrayed by this government and by their own organisation. Finally, I'm thankful that creatures like Wayne Cousins and David Carrick are now sat in a police cell where they and their like belong. And now the last one. Be kind. Step three. Be kind. With warm feelings, ask yourself... Who do I want to send love to? I know it's not being kind, but I'm going to start with who I'm not going to be sending love to anytime soon. It's probably not in the spirit of International Day of Happiness, but stuff it. It's my article and I'll do what I like. Firstly, I'm not going to be sending love to those on the following list. One. David Cameron and Theresa May for fucking up British policing. If time and distance make people forget what you did, don't worry. Me, my book and my podcast will always be there to remind them. Two. Too many hopeless senior police leaders who conspired in point one. 
Oh yes, Teresa, don't worry, we can definitely do more with less. Leave it with us. Spoiler alert, you can't. Anyone who thinks you can do more with less is either mentally ill or approaching his or her next police promotion process. 3. Any journalist who has written an attack piece on British policing in the last 10 years without also writing something positive to balance out the hateful bile poured on the majority of good police officers trying to do an impossible job. 4. Police officers who abuse their authority, stalk women, bully their colleagues for any reason, act in a dishonest way, and bring shame on the organisation. Police officers have to deal with enough arseholes in the general public without having to work with them. Just saying. The people I really want to send my unreserved love and virtual hugs to are British police officers, past and present, who joined to serve and protect the public and who put themselves in harm's way day after day with little or no acknowledgement or thanks for what they did and what they continue to do. Happy belated International Day of Happiness, everyone. So, there you go. I felt better after writing that. Speak soon. Ooh. <laughs>